0: Ledger is a writing podcast and your official notification that you are a poet. Congratulations, now you know it. I'm your host, Austin Wilson. Welcome to the show. Today, I am chatting with poet, editor, fiction prose writer, teacher, student, Stephanie Witovich. She is the editor of the book Writing Poetry in the Dark, out now from Raw Dog Screaming Press. Uh, She has a ton of other stuff that she's written, including... Uh, Poetry for Anthologies, her own books of poetry, uh, fiction and anthologies. uh, Go to her website, Stephanie M., as in Monster Wajtovich. Make sure you put that M in there between her first and last name. Stephanie StephanieMWajtovich.com. Check out all of her stuff. Oh, gosh, we chat about kind of just everything that that involves poetry, um, but specifically how poetry is kind of everything and anything. I previously asked... Jessica McHugh on on one of the other uh, older episodes of Ledger. What is poetry even? Uh, It's kind of a joke question, Um, and we chatted a little bit about that, and it turns out that the answer that Stephanie provides for us today is that everything is poetry, and that's actually a good thing. Um, Also, you can write poetry, trust me. Um, Even if you've never done it before, never had the inkling to do it before, do it. Write a poem. doesn't matter how long it is, what it is, what it's about just do it. Uh, after we chatted, uh, I went for a walk. This was, uh, maybe like two, two days ago now. Um, and then when I got back home after I was on the walk, I, I was listening to the cramps as I was walking and, and just kind of thinking and, uh, a character popped into my head and I ended up writing a poem about this character when I got back. First poem i had written in a long time. Uh, I was inspired by the chat with Stephanie by the book. Um, I love doing the show because of this. I talk about it in, in multiple episodes. It's, it's a big part of why I do it. And thank you to Stephanie for, for coming on. Uh, a couple times she mentions Jen. Uh, that is Jen Barnes at Raw Dog Screaming Press, who's an editor uh, and all-around rock star at that publication. She mentions Jen a couple times, and I wanted to make sure everybody knows she means Jen Barnes, who runs the Raw Dog Screaming Press Twitter account. So if you chat with them, you're chatting with Jen. Uh, Thanks again to Stephanie for swinging by. Check her stuff out, like I said. And as for my work, go to austinrwilson.com. Follow me on Twitter at austinrwilson or ledger underscore podcast. Most recently, I had a short story in the Halloween collection out from Black Hair Press called Nom Nom. My story is true Halloween. And I can actually say now uh, I woke up this morning as of this recording and, and had a new acceptance from the next anthology coming out from Black Hair uh, Press. So watch out on my Twitter account for more information about that. Uh, I'm writing a bunch more stuff and submitting a bunch more stuff, and I'm hoping to have even more episodes of Ledger come out pretty regularly. In fact, uh, I'll say right now, I have the next interview already set up two weeks from now, and I'm pretty pumped about getting that one out there as well. Uh, But as for now, this is my chat with Poet editor and all-around writer Stephanie M. Yitovich. Um yeah, let's just uh let's just chat about poetry, not just poetry, but that's one of the big things. Um Yes. You're the editor of uh Writing Poetry in the Dark. Um Stephanie whiteovich I've already Is that is it Yitovich? It's Yitovich.
1: Yitovich. Yes.
0: Ah, that's okay. I asked. <laughs> Writing poetry in the dark, out from Raw Dog Streaming Press. Um, you edited it together, a collection of essays uh, about poetry specifically. Yes. Um, I have a lot of questions about poetry because I am <laughs>
1: great.
0: <laughs> I'm bad at it. Is is the th- is the thing that I would say first? Uh, I'm bad at poetry, and I don't know. I'm almost kind of scared to say that I'm bad at poetry because then that let I. There's a lot of unpacking of like my own personal baggage with poetry. That's probably going to happen in this episode um, okay. in your intro. You say as a kid, poetry seemed like this untouchable art form. Unpack that for me. Why did it seem that way? And yeah, how long did it remain that way for you?
1: So I've always been afraid of poetry, and I think to some extent, I still kind of am from being like perfectly honest um poetry and writing in general has always like I I feel like I've been so intimately connected to it like books were always my escape they've always been the way I've processed the world that I've helped process myself they've gotten me through good times and bad times that like I almost put it on this pedestal where it's like nothing that I do will ever be good enough and there's a whole lot of imposter syndrome <laughs> wrapped up in that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, because when I teach poetry, I teach the exact opposite. And it's that, you know, poetry can be so many things and everybody can write it. And I do believe that. It's just hard for me to kind of practice what I preach in my, you know, in my day-to-day writing <laughs> writing life.
0: Well- um that's a funny thing to think about that you might still be even kind of scared of it a little. Cause you're the, yeah. you're the poetry editor mm-hmm. at <laughs> Raw Dog Screaming I Press. Know.
1: <laughs> I know it's, it's, um, Jen's probably going to yell at me for saying, <laughs> 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 but, but yeah, it, um, I think with poetry, I think so much of it, I think so much of that fear, at least from like a younger age is that at least in my educational experience, when we're taught poetry, we're taught, you know, the classics. Everybody's bringing out these, like, you know, giant transcendental, you know, romantic sonnets and all of this stuff. And it just feels, it, it feels kind of elitist. It feels like if you can't write that specific way, or if you don't like reading that, I think that's the other big thing. It's like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to play with this. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to be near it. And it kind of bridges, I think, this big gap between what contemporary poetry has kind of grown into versus what it was. And it's not that you can't write, you know, the way that everybody else used to, you can't write these big romantic, beautiful sweeping sonnets because you can, but there's also other ways like the genre and the craft has evolved to include so many different things that might be a little bit more accessible now. And that's kind of, I guess that's what I mean by it. It can seem scary because it does, it does feel, it does feel like if you don't have an MFA in poetry, maybe you don't know what you're talking about. And I, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> um, but I can see how it feels that way to readers and to writers like, oh, well, I haven't studied this or I I don't know how to write an iambic pentameter. So maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And it's that's not the case. Um, so I'm always very aware (laughs) of the kind of like stereotypes and biases that we grow up with and how that can kind of feed into like trepidation as, you know, more mature writers now.
0: Right. I see Mm -hmm. probably unsurprising to you. One of the things uh, for me that launched poetry as a possibility for me as a writer, Mm -hmm. uh, was Dead Poet Society.
1: Yeah. Oh God. Yes.
0: Yes it just, it, it connected with me when I was early teens, like the, basically the perfect age, the movie wants to connect with, with me. Mm -hmm. And I was in love with it all of a sudden. Oh, I'm in love with poetry. I can write poetry. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I started writing poetry and I was like, Oh shit, no, I can't. (laughs) I I can't do this. Um, And I think I don't know. The one, one of the questions that I wrote down as I was like ruminating over all of this is this idea of calling yourself a poet and Mm -hmm. how weighty that word seems to me rather than writer. And Mm -hmm. if that's just a personal thing for me, maybe, but is there, do you think there's something like, because when people are like, Oh, he's a poet, she's a poet, they're a poet. Um, does that carry more weight than just being like, they're a writer. Sometimes they write poetry.
1: I don't know if it carries more weight. I'm hesitant to say that, but I think it carries a different air of maybe stereotypes and like yeah. how people are defining themselves. Right. Um, I just taught in one of my grad classes, um, bunny by Mona. A Have you read that one. I haven't. No. So it is this dark cosmic hysterical, like, satire about mfa culture and everything like all of her characters are these stereotypes and the poets are like all super grungy and emo and just like sad and they don't really talk and their heads are always down and right you know they have the fingerless gloves and like all of like the they're smoking i mean it's like all of the Stuff that you think of when you think cliche poem, yeah. which is fine because I certainly went through that stage. So I'm not knocking it. I I responded very well to yep. her book.
0: Um,
1: still kind of there, honestly. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but it. I think um, with poetry, at least for me, because you know I, I write fiction and nonfiction, and I, I do a little bit of everything. But poetry has always felt more personal. It's felt more. I guess it, it maybe wait, maybe wait is the right word. Cause I, I do feel like poetry tends to be heavier for me when I'm writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm processing stuff. I feel like I'm on a personal journey as much as I'm on a creative journey with it. Um, it. It does different things for me, like cathartically on a, like a psychological level on a philosophical level. I feel like I'm able to say and show more to my readers in like very quick digestible bits that I can't necessarily do in fiction because right. it takes me forever to write fiction forever. And I, I can, I feel like I can do more and accomplish more with poetry.
0: And I think it's, it's very similar to music in that way. You yeah. can accomplish a lot emotionally in a short amount of time. And it it's weird because as I was thinking all of this stuff, and wondering about my own struggles with writing poetry. Cause you know, obviously I've written a lot of bad poetry that no one will ever see. And mm-hmm. some of it, even genre poetry, I can remember showing my mom a, a poem about a ax murder and she was yes. very, very kind about it. <laughs> uh, I was, I'm very lucky. She's a great person. Um, but the, one of the things that I was curious about is, is poetry like, the chief art form that is mainly associated with the worst of its self. Like, is it, is it just me? Because when somebody's like t- talking about poetry or thinking about poetry, it seems like there's this sort of looming shadow of like all the bad poetry. Yeah. And I don't seem to do that when I'm think when somebody's like short story, I'm just like, I'm just free to be like, oh, a short story. Whereas with poetry, there's almost this looming like specter of like, yeah. but it could be bad poetry.
1: Oh man. I have so many feelings about this. So like, bear with me. As H- I
0: hit me about. with them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, okay. So the first thing that I, and this is, again, this is just my personal opinion and my personal experience. So I feel like once once we get into like our teen years and yeah. like middle school and we start reading Poe and we're like, oh, there are other people who are like dark and processing all of this scary stuff like I am. I think we get really inspired as children, right? And we and we write and then we get these like very cliche feelings because that's all we know. And that's what we're kind of, we're, we're learning tropes, we're learning imagery, we're learning synonyms and like all of like the parts of writing. So then we get like, oh, I wrote this in my emo phase. I wrote this, and like, this is just bad. And it, and I think I very strongly because I did it. Like I did it forever. Like that was my that was my thing as a kid. Yeah. And but I think that that phase is so important, and it shouldn't be discredited because, I mean, what we're doing in that stage is we're literally processing trauma, and we're processing feelings, and we're learning how to put words to like big things like heartbreak and divorce and a whole bunch of other things that are happening. So I don't, I don't think it's dismissive. I get it. I get why people like don't want to share that and don't want to talk about it. But I think that it's actually doing a lot for us as like an early stage of writing. And I think that we all have to go through that to kind of level up for, you know, lack of a better word. That's, we got to get that stuff out. We got to start processing it, see what works, what doesn't work, where we're being like, really, really like purpley and prosy in our writing. And then we can kind of be like, it's gone. I've exercised it from me. Now I can make it better. But I I do think that there is something to that. I also think with poetry, again, I I think like Instagram poetry is a big thing. People love To shit on Instagram poetry. I live for it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I've been guilty of this for sure. So
1: have I. (laughs) So I'm not not trying to say I'm like better than anybody who's doing this because I absolutely do it. But I think that that in its own way, shape, or form, I think this idea of bad poetry, like easy poetry, Instagram poetry, like people really dragged Rupee Carr for all of her stuff. And I think that that in itself is a form of gatekeeping with the yep. art form, because again, we're putting poetry in a box and we're saying poetry can only look a certain way. It can only be read a certain way. And if you're not doing it, like if you're not writing on a cliff overlooking the ocean, while you're contemplating X, Y, and Z, you're not a real poet. And that's just not, it's not how it works. Yeah. And I think that that encourages this fear of like, Oh my God, well, you know, she's on the New York Times bestseller list for this type of poetry, but people are saying it's bad and I'm writing this and it looks nothing like that. So am I better? Am I worse? And then it just, it unravels and then everybody remains afraid of poetry. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like it's just one of those things where you just have to shut everybody out Yep. and you need to just sit down with your art and create and not give a shit about what anybody else is doing because poetry can and is everything. It can be a, it can be music. It can be art. It can be like,
0: I'm so happy. I'm so happy you said that because one of my (laughs) questions was, I, I struggled in the past, but have moved past this now uh, with the concept that literally anything can be considered a poem. Previously, that was a thing that, that irked me, that, Mm -hmm. that really made me basically whine. Um, like, Oh, well, they, th- that's a poem. It's two sentences. Um, first of all, that's reductive and gatekeeping, mm-hmm. like you said, which is one of the reasons why <laughs> after working through all of these thoughts and, yeah. and emotions, I've moved past that. And then second of all, the big thing that I thought is if everything can be considered poetry, why is that a bad thing? Right. Like, why? why would I want to essentially like erode the idea that someone's art shouldn't be considered poetry or like, or, or should be like, mm-hmm. why, why would it be a bad thing to be like this song's a poem or like, yes, these yeah. two sentences are a poem. So fuck what? Like, yeah, that, that, that's, that is what it is. Like, it shouldn't be considered a bad thing. Right. And I'm so glad that you said that because <laughs> that's where I arrived too. like, well, yeah. Well, yeah it is a poem who gives a shit <laughs> like,
1: yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. So we, we were talking about Tom Waits before we started recording and how yeah. my, when I get sick, I immediately start sounding like him. And so, and I promise this will all come together. So my husband is an opera singer, right? Yeah. And so he is like, he has two masters in like voice performance and pedagogy. And so he is very critical. Right. And we listen to two completely different styles of music. Oh
0: sure. Yeah. And
1: I love Tom Waits and i love leonard cohen and i love like nick cave and you know patty smith and every time i listen to them he's like they're not music like they're not singers they're poets and i'm like they can be both why both does it have ones. to be one or the other and he's yep. like i just i don't think like you know we just go round and round but i think that's like a perfect example is like it can wear different faces it can have different different definitions it can be more than one thing it's kind of like genre in general, like something could read as horror to one person and not to another. It doesn't yeah. make it any less horror. Right. It's all based on personal interpretation. So it's kind of like this giant, like anarchist, like just stop fucking worrying about labels. They don't matter. because <laughs> yeah. They're going to be different, you know, for everybody.
0: Right. And the, the the book, Writing Poetry in the Dark, has a lot of different essays that cover a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about, form mm-hmm. being one of them. Um, the idea that a poem can look like anything, mm-hmm. um, I think probably my, my like poo pooing that was out of fear because that means literally everything's on the table, right? You don't, you don't have to constrain yourself. You can do whatever you want. And sometimes that's terrifying. Yes. And having all the
1: options is scarier than having one specific set of roles that you have to follow. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Like if somebody is like, Hey, write a short story. Okay. I know how I know how to start. But if somebody says, write a poem for me, the scary thing is I don't, I don't even know what I would start doing. Yeah. Because storytelling, Mm
1: -hmm. like if
0: my natural inclination is to be like, okay, well I want to tell a story. Um, let's talk about that in poetry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Telling a story in a poem. And again, there are essays in the book that cover some of this stuff, um, like world building within poetry. And uh, one thing I'm super interested in is a beginning, middle and an end of a story. Mm -hmm. And that poetry can kind of free us of those structural chains, like a poem Mm -hmm. can just be a beginning. Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting concept um what is your experience with writing poetry and editing poetry um that sort of explores those liminal spaces where it's like this is a story but it's kind of only part of a story
1: yeah so i i kind of have a weird <laughs> process in a weird History with poetry, like specifically my poetry that's been published, like with Raw Dog and stuff like that. So when I, I never took, like I've taken creative writing classes and stuff like that in undergrad, and I've, you know, we've read poetry. I was a lit major, and then I got my MFA in fiction. Um, but I never took like this is how you have to write poetry type of classes because I didn't want to. I really, really didn't want anybody telling me how I was supposed to write poetry. It's like the one art form that I was like, I don't, I don't want anybody, like earmuffs. Everybody stay away from me. Um, so I was kind of figuring things out on my own and kind of just listening to my intuition. And when I wrote Hysteria, which was my first, um, my first poetry collection, I knew that I wanted to tell a story. But again, I didn't want like beginning, middle, end. So I built this world where I was in an asylum, right? And all of the poems were individual snippets of, re- of like the patient's histories of why they were in this fictional asylum that I created. So I built this world and then I started like basically doing case files of like this person did this or this person is feeling this or this person sitting in their cell thinking they're having a tea party but they're not. (laughs) And like, you know, different things like that. Um, And I went and I spent the night at like a whole bunch of abandoned asylums and I was taking tours of prisons and like just taking photography. Like I I was doing all of this crazy stuff, right. Um, To kind of build this world and make it come alive. And then I just sat down and started like pouring out like all of the notes that I took and, and I built these like little character and scene studies that way. So when you read the book, there is this world that you feel engrossed in, but you also get these like little characters and protagonists and antagonists throughout. You feel this like looming nurse, just kind of walking around and showing you as the reader, like into the cells of all of these patients. And I've kind of kept up that type of process with everything that I've written since then. There's always a world. There's always one, I guess it's really an antagonist, let's be honest with what I'm writing, (laughs) that's kind of showing you all of these horror stories. And they're kind of just these, like, these pulses or, like, these photographs or, like, still frames of, like, a movie that you're seeing. Like, it's not necessarily a beginning, middle, end. Maybe it's the beginning. Maybe it's the end. Maybe it's happening right now. And then you're gone. So it kind of leaves you very much in like anticipation or in dread or just scared, like it's all of these like I feel very thrown out of my comfort zone and safe and I don't know what's coming next and that's how I want to I don't want to say that's how I want to attack the reader but for lack of a better way of well, explaining yes. it it kind of is
0: sure yeah so, mm-hmm. Was well, so the does the form of does the form of each poem end up looking the same I mean this probably uh varies based on you know what story you're telling but Is it, is that something that guides you as you're, as you're writing it? Um, But you also edit a lot of stuff too. So I know that's going to be a a big part of the process as well. And something I want to talk about before uh, we wrap up. Um, But the form of those things, Mm -hmm. um, as as you're putting a book together of just a story that's um, told in, would you say told in verse? I don't know if that's.
1: It could be, it could be verse. I think it it really does, it depends on, it depends on the individual poem and what the poet is trying to do. So like, for instance, some poems I think might be told better in the shape of a prose poem, if it is more of a story. Some might be better as free verse. I, I do a lot of editing with like, you know, based on what you're accomplishing in the line, based on what you're accomplishing with grammar, based on you know, the white space in the poem, how it moves, how it's breathing, like, so I, I do think that it, it does kind of depend on the specific piece. And again, if you have a poet who really wants to have, you know, a visual component, in addition to an auditory, po- like component into what they're writing, then certain, you know, different line breaks, different things might work better for them than something that's just kind of I don't want to say choppy, but like something that's just more sure. condensed or more blocked, if that makes sense.
0: Um, you mentioned auditory. I talked with mm-hmm. Jessica uh, McHugh a little bit about this when she was on. Um, what does the audio? What does the auditory experience of a poem add or detract? How does it change a poem? And is that an essential part of? Obviously, not every poem. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think I may be misphrased when I ask Jessica, uh, but how does how does audio and and reading a poem aloud change what's happening with it?
1: So I and maybe this is just my process, but I don't ever sign off on anything, whether it's my work or my clients work until I've read it out loud. Really? Um, I read every I don't do that with fiction necessarily, but poetry, it has to be read out loud, I I think, um, because people are, some people are going to read it out loud. Like you're going to go up, you might be doing readings. Like you want to hear how it's moving on the page. Um, And I think it's also really important with poetry, when you're reading it out loud, you're going to hear where you're taking natural breaths and natural pauses. And it should reflect that on the page. So like, that's when you're going to know like, okay, well maybe I do want to pause more dramatically here. Maybe I should consider breaking the line here. Maybe I should consider moving this paragraph halfway to the other side of the page, like different things like that to kind of give it the effect. So I think it helps you not only learn where to put your grammar, but it also shows you where to break your lines and how maybe essentially the form of the poem that you need to be writing. Because like I said, maybe it should be a prose poem. Maybe it should be just a block. Maybe it should have some waves to it. Maybe it should be choppy. Like there's all these different ways. And I think when you read it out loud, that's when you get that. You're not necessarily, because if you're just doing it in your head, you're not going to have all of those. Your body's not going to be reacting to the poem. That, yeah.
0: Right. And Mm -hmm. is the the line break... I mean, this might just be a personal preference thing. Mm -hmm. Is is the line break the one of the or the best way to help guide a reader know how the rhythm of a poem should be interpreted?
1: I think the line is certainly one of the most important things. And I would say the line coupled with white space and how you're using it, because white space can be used within the line. So I think they kind of are are very closely married.
0: So when you say Uh, mm -hmm. white space for anyone, explain that. Uh, Mm -hmm. do you literally just mean like the size of the word or.
1: So it's the way that I kind of describe white space is like the absence or like, so for instance, let's say you're writing, um, and instead of hitting a period, you hit like three indents, how you read that line is going to drastically shift okay? because there is all of this stillness and silence between that final word at the end. And that's going to evoke a whole bunch of different things, you know, in your imagination and in your body versus if it was just a period and then, you you know, you continued writing. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Um, And then prose poem for anyone. Explain what a prose poem is for for anyone who, because I think a lot of people, I was guilty of this for a long time they think of poetry as rhyming. Mm -hmm. This rhymes, with this, this rhymes with this Um, prose poetry. When I discovered it, um, that was the one of the things in my head that clicked because it was almost like I was taking little steps between like, Oh, I don't know if I like poetry. Oh shit. Wait, I like this. This is poetry. Mm -hmm. So prose poetry, how would you describe prose poetry for, for anyone who doesn't know what it is?
1: I think I think for people who are so used to writing prose and like short fiction and novels and stuff like who are interested in poetry, the prose poem is like your best friend. It's the best way to start, like, you know, inching in (laughs) to this part of the craft. Um, And I recognized what it was when I was actually working on my thesis and all of my mentors were like, you have to stop writing poetry. You need to start writing prose and i was like what are you what are you talking about and they were like you're writing these like these really like cool scene studies basically but they're these like sweeping like moving images that aren't following basic sentence structure like you need in fiction and it took me a while to kind of realize what they were saying um because the prose poem is this kind of continual it's like a paragraph almost like yeah. you're writing but it doesn't have to abide by the same rules that fiction does. You're still focusing on your line. You're still looking for the breath. You're still building images. Like it's kind of, it's kind of chaos in a lot of ways because you feel like you need to be writing prose, but it's poetry. So you're like mixing with these rules that you can break now that you can't break when you're writing prose. And so I can see how it gets a little... A little intimidating and confusing, and the best way that I learned how to write the prose poem was um, Rose Metal Press has a book out called "The Field Guide to Writing Prose Poetry." Oh, cool! And base and basically, what it is is it's just a whole bunch of poets who are writing about their personal relationship with the prose poem. So when I teach prose poetry, and you would probably hate me if I was your instructor, <laughs> because the opening exercise that I do is, okay, we're going to learn about a prose poem today. Write me a prose poem about what you think prose poetry is. And everybody's (laughs) head just like breaks, like, what is this? And then it starts developing your relationship with what you think of when you hear a prose poem. And then we can start kind of, you know, sifting through that.
0: You are more, you don't know this, I'm about to tell you, but one of my big like pet peeves is metafiction. I, I struggle so much with metafiction, so yeah, that would oh, that yes, that would yeah. put a, that would would really knock me back on my feet for a second to try and do that. i oh, yeah. I like the the concept of literally anything being possible um mm-hmm. and not limiting ourselves. Um, I think that's where my my really, it's just fear, you know, my fear of producing poor work um and my my fear of i mean I, honestly my fear of someone being like he's a bad writer mm-hmm. <laughs> if i if i do something that doesn't necessarily work and i think maybe that's one of the reasons why i stopped writing poetry which is kind of sad to think because like you said as as kids you know we're excited and we're we're filled with passion and we're we're so happy and the idea that i'm like a bad poet or writing bad poetry is me being the reason why I stopped. That kind of sucks.
1: <laughs> I've, I've been there. I, so there was, I can't remember what book it was for, but I remember reading a review, which you should never do. No, yourself, Don't do it.
0: Don't do ever. it. <laughs> don't ever do
1: it. Um, and it said something like who told, who told Waitovich she could write, I'm so happy I got this on Kindle so I don't feel like I also killed a tree. Oh, boy. And I I laughed (laughs) and then I was very sad for a long period of time. And then I was like, you know what? If it doesn't resonate with you, that's cool. Like, I wrote this. I feel good about it. I'm going to get better. So maybe the next one will, you know, it'll be a level-up version of what you read the first time or somebody else will like it. And, you know, I from hysteria to apocalyptic mannequin which is my latest collection like my style has changed drastically anybody who picks up hysteria and like i'm not the same poet and like you're going to change and you're going to evolve and you're going to do different things and some readers will hate it some will be excited that you're trying new stuff but i'm a big um i'm a big believer in that you have to write for yourself first And maybe that's why I'm a poet and poets aren't really making all the big bucks these (laughs) days because I'm so passionate about the art form. But like, I, I think you need to write for yourself and satisfy like your own interpretation of what you want to create while we're here on this earth. And then everything else that comes after is, it's either static that you don't listen to or it's the cherry on top and, you know, it just makes everything better. So
0: I think so too. I was just having a conversation the other day with some people about how, You have to realize that you can't control what the readers are going to do no matter what. And that, that is actually a great thing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You cannot control them. So forget about them.
1: Exactly. And it's, it's the same thing I tell my students all the time. They're like, well, you know, I really want to be looked at as a horror writer. And I was like, it doesn't matter. I was like, some people won't think you're a horror writer and they'll think you write fantasy. And I was like, you can be both. Like you can be a dark fantasy writer and a horror writer or just a writer, like it literally doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is you write a good poem, you tell a good story and you feel good about it. Yep. Everything else is gonna be open to interpretation and you can't do anything about it.
0: Yep, you have no idea what's gonna happen once it gets out there. Yeah, right. Um, so you, as you've mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. you teach. Yes. Um, as of this recording, you're also in school, which I read on your blog. Yes. Um, you are the poetry editor at Rodog screaming press. You also write poetry and you also write uh, fiction, uh, you know, prose uh, that's not poetry. Yes. Um, the thing that I was looking at all of those things and I was like, that's well, first of all, that's a ton of stuff. So good, good job.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: Um, but then I was like, you know what I actually think connects all these things. It's not writing it's editing. Mm-hmm. I think editing connects every single one of the things you do, teaching, yes, actually editing, and then actually mm-hmm. writing. How did you come to edit all of these different things for yourself, for other people? Yeah. Um, I know what teaching requires. Um, and it is not, it's not a, oh, well, I'll just walk in the classroom and teach. There's yeah. a lot that goes into it. How did you, how did you get to the point where you are now with, with editing?
1: Yeah. So I, kind of to circle back to what I said before about not really taking poetry classes and stuff like that. You know, my, I kind of gave myself my own little poetry education where I, I mean, I was setting it up where I was reading between like 30 to 50 poetry collections a year. I was reading craft books on poetry, memoirs. on like, I just, I read everything and I continue to try to do that. Maybe not with the same level of gusto with everything on my plate right now, Um, but I do, I just try to read everything and see what works, see what doesn't see what I agree with. Um, and that kind of led to, you know, the more that I was writing poetry myself, the more people started asking, you know, for advice and mentorship and stuff like this. And so I started getting into it and it's kind of started out as just like beta reading. And then it started into like me giving critiques. And then I was like, oh, I I actually have a lot to say (laughs) about this. And then it kind of moved into editing which then evolved into teaching, which then evolved into like all of this other stuff. And I think the best, the best, maybe um, the best reason or the, like my way of thinking here was every time that I sit down to grade a student paper to grade um, or to like critique, you know, a client's writing or, or whatever, you know, it's almost like you're teaching yourself all over again and it makes you a better writer. Just like, and that's why I'm so passionate about, like, I always tell my students, like, if you can find, like, a critique buddy, or if you can, like, open yourself up to beta reading, and I know, like, reading slash nobody want like, I know it's this Herculean, like, thing, but you learn so much from doing it, and things that I use, that my mentors used to crucify me over, like... I could not figure out passive voice from active voice to save my life. (laughs) Like there were, I had all of these just like the light bulb would not go off, Yeah. but I could, I could see it in other people's work. And the more time that I started critiquing it with other people, then it like forced the light bulb to go off because I would start recognizing it in my own writing. So it just became this like, wonderful circle of continuing education (laughs) like for me for everybody else and it's a way to like kind of give back to the community and teach other people about it and I think when you have people who you know when I was mentoring with Crystal Lake I would have people who are like I want to write poetry but I've never done it before and like can you look at this and so you look at it and you give them feedback and you tell them like you're doing this really well this is what you can kind of work on and you know, so on and so forth, then they start getting excited. And when people get excited about poetry, then they start writing poetry and then more people start reading it. And then we have this giant poetry renaissance that I feel like we're kind of having now because people are excited about the craft and all the possibilities that it has. Um So I think editing and critiquing is just, it's so incredibly important and it's how it gets the kind of the lifeblood moving again. So I, yeah, it's, I love it. I think it's so much fun. You get to work with some of like, I've got to work with authors who I just absolutely adore and super, super respect. And we've created these great books and like friendships and professional relationships together. And it's just, it's a blast. I love it.
0: (laughs) That and that stuff, like you said, it ends up becoming almost a feedback loop um, because Mm -hmm. you then get excited also that goes into the work. Um, Mm -hmm. honestly, that's, and I've talked about this on previous episodes. It's one of the reasons why I I do the show because talking to other people who love uh, writing and it is a a way for me to just be like, Oh, writing, it's the greatest ever. (laughs) Yes, And it's editing. And even if you're just, uh, being someone's beta reader, um, where they hand it to you and you just give them some thoughts. I, I agree. I think that's such a great way to to be involved and almost a, a, another way to like top off the creative tank where you can yeah. get some inspiration. Or I, one thing I was thinking about is when you're editing, because obviously you're, you know, you're editing a lot of different voices and there will be similarities, but um, how do you, I guess almost like what's the tool set that you, that you need or how do you work with alternate voices and, mm-hmm telling the difference between this is a thing that I think would make this better, or this is such a creation of your voice. I don't want it to change it, but Mm -hmm. it seems off to me, but also it I don't know if I make it any sense. Yeah,
1: no, you're making perfect sense. So I think I try to do two things. When I start editing somebody's project. So if it is, I guess it's a little bit different. If I've read something and I just like, if I'm seeking it out, I'm already really familiar with the author. Usually I'm familiar with their voice. I might have worked with them before. So I know it's not going to need like my eye so very critically. Right. Um, But if it's a new poet that I'm working with, the, the main thing that I try to do first is I ask them some questions and I ask them like, okay, what, what questions or concerns do you have about your manuscript first and foremost? Like, what are you looking to accomplish with this book? Is there a certain message you want to send? What do you think your strengths are? What do you think your weaknesses are? And we kind of just have this like macro level conversation so I can get an idea of what they're looking to do and accomplish with it and how I can better help make that happen. The other thing, when I sit down to actually start editing, Um, I like to do what I kind of have come to call, like I do like a line by line critical edit where you're going to get all of my feedback. And then I also do like a reader response feedback where I'll kind of say like, okay, as a reader, love this poem. As a reader, this one didn't connect with me. This is why. And that's feedback that I really think you can like take or leave. But I also think it's really important because that's the kind of feedback you're going to get when you release it into the world. Right? right. So I think it's good to kind of have a little bit of both. That's like, this is the academic critical lens versus this is like, this was great. This one didn't connect with me. Like just kind of like, yeah. you know, the small clips, right. The one, the one sentence review of the piece. So I try to do a little bit of both that way, you know, I can work with the poet a little bit more intimately, Yeah. you know, on the manuscript overall.
0: When it's time to edit your own stuff, mm-hmm. what do you do? Is it can you take it to a certain point by yourself? Or do you have to always seek someone else to, to help you?
1: So I I always kindly ask Jennifer. <laughs> she <laughs> yeah. will always forever be my um be my second eyes. And you know, Jennifer and I have gotten to the point where she can really bluntly tell me like, Stephanie, this isn't working. Or like, yeah. you really need to like, you know, kick it up a notch here. And so we we have a little bit more blunt feedback now since we've been working together for, you know, 10 plus years. Um, but she's she's always my go-to, go-to person because I think she knows my voice better than anyone. Um, she knows me as a person probably better than anyone. Yeah. Um, so I really, I trust her. But I've also had other like, I, I wrote a poem, like, a while back for an anthology, and, um, you know, I was using Spanish and stuff in it, so, like, I reached out to some of my friends who, you know, who I, I have Latin American heritage and who fluently speak Spanish, and I was like, I don't want to touch this at all until I get somebody else's approval that, like, my language is correct, like, I'm, you know, and I think that type of experience is, I think, like, the sensitivity reader, which I know has, like, a whole bunch of, you know, feelings and stuff towards it. But I think it's important because I want to be respectful of other people's cultures and other people's histories. And like, I, so I always like, Jennifer is always my go-to, but I've also reached out to other people maybe for like individual pieces to get some feedback, to make sure that I'm covering all my bases and being respectful as well.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I personally think sensitivity readers are needed and a great Mm -hmm. thing. And if you are writing something and commenting on someone's life, yep. which is how it's going to feel to, to some people, if, if mm-hmm. you include certain things, fi- finding out if you're going to wound them <laughs> is a, just, yeah, a, it's I, just a human thing to do.
1: <laughs> I, I completely agree. I, that's why every like people, and I think like the reason why it's so important too, is like, you could have, you could be the most respectful person, And have the best intentions of being like, I want to write this story that's diverse and inclusive. And like, I want to give light to X, Y, and Z. And then it, it be poorly done and be offensive. And it's not because you were setting out to do that. Nope. And that's why I think, you know, going that extra step is, it's important.
0: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. doing it before publication, like, wouldn't you want to know (laughs) before? Absolutely. The, yes. all the books are perfect bound. They get out there and they're like, Jesus Christ, this reads r- really yes. awfully. I want to mm. know beforehand. <laughs> like, I don't want the, yeah. the, to, no. the book to be out there, but
1: no. you don't want that surprise. It's no not a good surprise.
0: <laughs> and I know some people bristle against it and bristle against the idea of that. It, that it seems like you're censoring yourself or. And I just don't agree. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, just, I, don't. I just don't agree at all. I don't agree either. Um, what was I, I was going to, oh, it's good to have, <laughs> I just hit my mic. Um, <laughs> it's good to have someone that can tell you the truth about yes. a, a piece you're writing. Um, I've had that conversation with so many people and, and I have, you know, really good friends that I can hand something to and be like, listen, I want you to be honest with me about this. Don't tell Great. me it's the best story you've ever read. I I know it's not <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't want that. I want yeah. you to help me make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good having someone like that. And I I think being in groups where you can do beta readings and, and do critiques, I, it's just a really good idea.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I had an experience a couple years ago, I was working with a poet and I really love like his, his poetry was, really intense and graphic and violent. And it focused on the body a lot. And it was also very erotic. And I I can remember we kind of, we kind of got like, into it a little bit, because I was talking to him. And I was like, I understand what you're doing. I understand your voice. I was like, but as a woman reading this, it feels very like, I feel like you're exploiting me. I feel yeah. like, I don't feel good reading this. I was like, I don't like the message that's coming off and it kind of went rounds. Like, well, I feel like you're censoring me. I feel like blah, blah, blah. And then like the more we talked about it, he was like, okay, I see what you're saying. And I, I think you're right. I think I'm going to remove it. And once the book came out, everybody was like, you know, the way that he can write these like horribly graphic things, but still like it not feel like exploitative or anything is really cool. And he was like, I hate, I hate admitting that you were right. And I was like, I, I, it was just like when I, and it, that's again, the power of that reader response critique. I was like, I was just like, you could have left it in there, but I'm telling you as a woman, it made me feel gross. So like, if you're okay with other women possibly having that opinion, it's just something to kind of think of.
0: Yeah. And that's a hard, because maybe some people would say, yeah, I am. I am okay with that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: Um, Mm -hmm. that's all of those, none of those conversations are easy. No, or or they, they shouldn't be easy. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's a lot of feelings and, and thoughts and, and lives, you know, that are connected to all of those things. So they're hard conversations to have, but they're important because. Exactly. Uh, art can, it can hurt us, (laughs) yes, yes. (laughs) but it can also make us feel not, it's so weird to think about like writing dark poetry and, Mm -hmm. and, horrific poetry and like you were saying like violent poetry um i think people's because you hear that or you see it a lot online or or even just have people say to you like how can you write stuff like that and thinking back to some of the poems that i wrote when i was younger like that axe murder poem that i mentioned mm-hmm. earlier um talk to me about being drawn to poetry and then being like I'm gonna write about the most violent thing that's in my head right now, but yep. in a poem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Tell me about well, I, how those I things come axe, together.
1: I have an axe murder poem too. There you go. <laughs> we all have. Yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah. I
0: I figured it was a, a step in my growth. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I. Uh, so again, you know, I think. So let me kind of start off by saying, like, another one of the reasons that I came to poetry. Um, was from a mental health standpoint. So I was in therapy as a child. And I wasn't super cool about talking about all the things that I was feeling still really bad at it. (laughs) Some things don't change. Um, But my therapist at the time told me like, if you're having a hard time communicating, I want you to try to write it instead. And so that's when I started writing poems, which were really dark and really violent. And like, that was how I was processing my rage. Like, it was a way for me to like expel it, put it on the page and move on. And it was really healthy for me to do that. Um, and that's why I've never stopped. (laughs) It's just always, it's always really worked for me. Um, and so I think my, my take on that has shifted over the years. Like if you read the stuff that's in hysteria versus the stuff that's in apocalyptic mannequin, like, hysteria is crazy like I like it's unhinged
0: (laughs) it's very
1: violent it's like my slasher collection like people are not faring well like it is like a slap happy like knife fest (laughs) in that in that (laughs) collection um and I was younger and that's what I was drawn to and I, I I still love slashers like that was my my thing and that was how I was processing stuff and then apocalyptic mannequin is almost like it's more existential. I wrote it like right before the pandemic hit. It has all of these, like, still about the body, but it's more about death and how we change our bodies and how we treat our bodies. Like, it's the violence is still there. It's just a little quieter, yeah. which in some ways is scarier. Like, yeah. I think that that is way more terrifying than, like, you know, somebody that's let loose in an asylum running, you know, with a knife, like, you know, they were in hysteria. Um, so I think. I think processing and writing about violence is healthy. I think it's a good, I'd much rather see it on the page than see it acted out in real life. Um, One of my favorite people and poets that writes about this a lot is Claire Holland. And she wrote, um, I'm not your final girl. She wrote the um, essay on violence that's in writing poetry in the dark. And I think she does a really good job of kind of talking about that relationship. And I, I think it kind of goes back to, you know, why people, because I mean, everybody who's interested in horror gets the bad rap too. Like, how can you watch this stuff? How can you be around it? And it's, it's cathartic. It lets you like pause your own anxiety and watch somebody else go through something and watch them survive at the end and be like, okay, maybe I can send that email that I haven't been able to send for two weeks because it's been stressing me out. Like, and that's how I think too. Like I, I feel like it's an adrenaline rush to experience that and then move on with my life. So I I tend to think it's a good thing.
0: (laughs) I think so too. And having written like really dark stuff and I also come to writing from a a mental health standpoint, I've been writing since I was very, very young and dealing with anxiety since I was really young and depression and writing has always been there for me. Always. And getting the darkness (laughs) onto the page. Yes, absolutely. Um, really does. Really does. I mean, obviously it doesn't heal you like completely of those things that I mentioned, anxiety and depression, but yeah, just the idea of dealing with things uh, from that perspective and, and writing. Yeah, I agree. It's It's yeah. a giant help.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're literally putting a face to the thing that's haunting you And then savagely killing it
0: (laughs) or burying it
1: or putting it away like you're saying you're not gonna let it conquer you you're gonna conquer it right and there's something that's really powerful in that
0: yep i agree Mm -hmm. um as we're getting closer to the end writing poetry in the dark out from raw dog screaming press edited by you forward uh from tim wagoner who's also been on the show um talk to me about editing a a book like this how does it even start a process like this with all these different, uh, essays from multiple writers. Um, what's the very, like how, what, what's the first thing you do when it's time to edit a book together of all this different content?
1: Yeah. So I, so for this particular project, I had a very specific vision in mind. So I reached out to all of the contributors with the idea that I had with what I was kind of hoping they would be interested in writing about. Um, and then then they wrote about it, right? Yeah. Um, and I collected everything. And I—I got to tell you, I probably read this book at least seven or eight times. <laughs> I like imagine it's, I'm very familiar with yeah. it. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's really cool because it was also way more work than I think. I think well, I think because again, because it's poetry, and I put poetry on this like metaphysical spiritual pedestal. (laughs) I, you know, I even told Jennifer at one point I was like, you have to take the book away from me. I was like, it has to be done. I can't read it or look at it anymore. Um, but you know, I, I read each, I read each article, each essay, however you want to refer to it. Um, twice, I read it again with a critical lens with a reader lens. And then I would start having a conversation with the poet specifically about the topic that they wrote about, because, I wanted, I want readers to be able to look at this and hear like the academic voice and the poet voice. Like I want people to be like, this is really interesting. I want to pick up their books and see how they're handling it. Yeah. Um, so I had to kind of like chop up my brain a little bit and read it from like a couple different perspectives, which was a little bit challenging. Um, but I think ultimately in the end, I think it worked out really well. Cause I think people are connecting with the essays and it's my hope that like, you know, we put the appendix in the back so people can kind of see like where people are pulling from. They're seeing their own works and I'm a total nerd. So when I see an appendix, I get like super excited and I'm like, well, I need to read this and this, is <laughs> and I create yep. this huge list. So I think there's like a craft book on top of a craft book kind of in here. Um, and so it was, it was very time consuming. It was very tedious, um, but it's work that I'm really passionate about. And I'm really excited about the final product. And I hope that it helps kind of act as this like accessible, continued education, you know, of sorts for people who don't want to go get an MFA in poetry or for people who aren't interested in like somebody actually like teaching them and telling them there's a certain way to do something this way. They can hear a whole bunch of different voices and they can kind of go on their own journey, like I did when I started
0: out. Yeah, I'm yeah. super excited about um, well, the whole writing in the dark. Like I had Tim's first two books, this book. You can just look back at who I've interviewed <laughs> in the past, yeah. like <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, months, and, and be like, oh shit, no, he's really into this. And, it, and yeah. it, it's because it all hit me in a in a way that really affected my writing and a lot quicker than I would have expected it to. I mean, reading through writing poetry in the dark and, and seeing the poets talk about their own work and, and showcase it in, in their essays. Uh, I read poems, you know, in the book where I'm, it got me excited to try writing that yeah. stuff again, because approaching it from a pers- from the place that I would have, uh, as a younger person or or not knowing like, yeah, I don't know why I never thought that I could sit down to write a poem that tells a story. I don't know why I never would have had that click for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And now it does.
1: It's because we were all like in high school trying to write sonnets, (laughs) which is like, yeah.
0: I think maybe that might be part of it. I mean, even though Dead Poet Society was cool, I think I took maybe some of the wrong message away from some of that because... Mm explicitly a, a couple times in the movie, Robin Williams' character is like, you can write poetry. You can do it. It doesn't matter. And yep. somehow that didn't stick with me. What yeah. stuck with me is my poetry doesn't sound like that poetry. I should stop.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's wild because I feel like I've been kind of shitting on sonnets throughout this whole podcast. <laughs> well, but it's, so it's, but but so I'm terrified of sonnets. Like I, when, when there are rules, I get real nervous. And so it was funny because so there's that anthology that's coming out Shakespeare Unleashed and I was asked to write a sonnet for it and I was like this is everything that I'm terrified of and that like I it was like I was having like a small like anxiety attack like cuz I could remember sitting in AP English trying to write it and my teacher being like why can't you do this? <laughs> and I was like, I can't. Yeah, I know. And like, it just, I was terrified, but I was like, I'm going to write this freaking sonnet. Like, if it takes me months to do, and it did, yeah. it took me a very long time. But damn it, like, I wrote that sonnet and I'm super proud of it. It's going to be in that book, but like, hell yeah. So there's, and it, but it was such a good writing exercise because it feels good to challenge yourself and it feels yeah. good to try something new. And like, I learned all kind of weird stuff about myself and my relationship with formal writing and like, so I, d- I think there's so much value in it. So I don't want it to seem like I'm against formalist poetry. It just, it just really scares me. <laughs> I,
0: I think it scares me too. And mm-hmm. I think another thing that ends up happening is when in high school, specifically, if they're mm-hmm. like, we want you to learn sonnets, you know what you should do? Read this genius who wrote the sonnets <laughs> that everybody is like over the moon about. And then you write one. I'm like, I'm a sophomore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what You want me to do what?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Big shoes to fill. It's very intimidating and it starts the imposter syndrome very young.
0: Right. It does. And Mm -hmm. I think meeting, meeting us halfway where it's like, all right, we're going to talk about poetry Um, instead of doing that, like here's Shakespeare doing things like, okay, let's tell a story and just tell a story in a, in a poem. Um, Mm -hmm. Your, your concept of writing a prose poem about what you think prose uh, poetry is Um, yes, while it would crush my heart to, (laughs) to do it, uh, because of my metafictional whininess. Um, but that's also a thing I've talked about with friends in the past is like, why don't you just write a metafictional story then to like, try and help get over your, your bullshit about it.
1: Yep.
0: And I've tried and (laughs) it's it's a process.
1: That's yes. It's all a process. It's a process.
0: (laughs) Well, I uh I really appreciate you coming by. Um everyone you can check out uh Stephanie's stuff at Stephanie M as in Monster. Make sure you put that in there, mwytovich.com. Uh also uh Stephanie Mwytovich.blogspot.com um and on Twitter as well. There's all that stuff's linked. You have a ton of books of poetry, of fiction. Uh, Writing Poetry in the Dark out from Raw Dog Screaming Press. Um, Everyone should check it out. If you've never written a poem, if you've written a ton of poems, doesn't matter where you are uh, in the poetry landscape, give it a look. Thanks for stopping by, Stephanie.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode. As always, I appreciate it a ton. Make sure you rate the podcast on all those places and subscribe and download all the other episodes. Uh, I'm going to make sure they're up on YouTube from now. So if you like to listen to stuff on YouTube in the background or use YouTube, uh, swing over to my YouTube channel. I'll have links to that. Everywhere you can find me online. Again, Austin R. Wilson at Twitter and AustinRWilson.com. Ledger underscore podcast at Twitter as well. Um, yeah, hey, thanks for listening. I appreciate it a ton. Make sure you get uh, get back to the page and do some writing. Thank you again to Stephanie Wajtovich. Uh It was a great conversation. I had a ton of fun. And like I said, I wrote poetry later that night, and I hadn't done that in a long time. So that was really awesome. Pick up the book Writing Poetry in the Dark from Raw Dog Screaming Press. It's got a lot of of inspirational stuff in it i know it's going to help you if if you like writing poetry if you've never written poetry doesn't matter where you fall the whole writing in the dark series is is really is really awesome like i said in the in the the podcast that you just listened to um i love all the books and I, i think writers can can get a lot from them so so check those out and swing back by for the next episode like i said already got it booked so there's another one coming see you then